1: All right, good morning to you. This is Mike Smith, and we start today with B.C.'s vaccine plan, phase two of the plan rolled out by the province yesterday. My guest this morning, B.C. Health Minister Adrian Dix. I'm very pleased to welcome him back to the show. Minister, thanks for coming on.
2: Hey, good morning, Mike. It's a great day. It's uh, every day that someone gets immunized is a good day for me, I can tell you that.
1: Okay, that's really great to hear. There's a lot of optimism around this plan and some hope that we could get back to sort of some sense of normal by the summer. Is that your hope and expectation here?
2: Well, that's our hope. Uh, it doesn't mean everything is back to normal. I don't think anybody should be planning international trips for the summer, and uh, we want to make that very clear. But if we can get everyone their first dose uh, in the summer, and that's uh, our goal, that will improve everybody's safety. Every time somebody gets immunized, it means that everybody is safer. So even if you're not being immunized this week, the fact that we're doing we've done uh, 275,000 immunizations as of yesterday on 190,000 different people is a really positive thing and a really positive thing for everyone. And the results, you saw them, and I encourage everyone to look at them in the BC Immunization Plan, in long-term care, the most vulnerable people that we have to this pandemic. And you see the results of people 21 days after they're vaccinated. It's, it's, that part of it is the reason, that the, the reason for optimism. These vaccines have been very effective.
1: Okay. My guest is BC Health Minister Adrian Dix. He's agreed to take calls from our listeners. So I'm going to open the phone lines right away here because I know so many people have so many calls about this plan. So if you have a question about the vaccine plan, and I stress a question. Make sure you step up to the plate here with a good question for the minister. Call me right now. I'll open the phone lines right now. 604. 604- 280 9898 is the number to call if you have a question for Health Minister Adrian Dix. 604-280-9898, star 9898, toll free in your cell. Minister, one of the things that officials announced yesterday was that all British Columbians expected to get the first shot of the vaccine by July, which of course is very exciting news. And doing it by extending the interval from the first dose to the second dose of the vaccine to 16 weeks. We've got the manufacturers of the vaccine recommending a much shorter interval, three to four weeks. And we're already seeing some criticism of BC for this. Canada's chief science officer uh, telling the CBC yesterday, Dr. Mona Neymar, saying that this is an experiment, a population level experiment that she called it, and that BC should not be tinkering with these timelines, how do you respond to that?
2: I respond that uh, this is based on real, real-world evidence. Remember, there were tens of thousands of people involved in the clinical trials for these vaccines. I think forty thousand for Pfizer. We've now had tens of millions, even hundreds of millions, in the hundreds of millions in the world who've received the vaccine, and so it's based on that evidence. We have been providing, as you know second doses 42 starting 42 days after the first dose and we provided in the range of 90,000 second doses but the evidence the evidence that was presented by Dr. Dinoda Skoronsky of the BC Center for Disease Control last week the evidence from Quebec where they've not done any second doses they've only done first doses in the UK the same supports this measure it allows everyone to be safer and remember as I said before, when somebody is vaccinated, when more people receive their first dose, all of us are safer, even if we haven't been vaccinated yet. And uh, that's the reason uh, we made the decision, based on science, recommended by our uh, our leader in these matters, Dr. Bonnie Henry, and I think it's the right decision.
1: Okay, she says that Canada's chief science officer is quoted this morning saying that BC should have done clinical trials on this extended waiting period uh, before you approve this plan. What do you say to that?
2: Well, this plan has been in place in Quebec for some months. And so, uh, um, uh, forgive me, it's the the chief science advisor to the prime minister in the prime minister's yeah. office uh, who's in question here. And uh, what we've been doing is we've been engaged with the National Advisory Committee on Immunization, which really sets the standard for immunization in the country. And uh, we expect, it's based on the evidence presented to them, we expect that they'll be coming out at some point in the near future, uh, with a similar recommendation, and that's up to them to do that. Uh, and uh, but in the meantime, uh, our job is to keep people safe in British Columbia, and that is precisely what we're doing. We've made changes based on the evidence and adapted here, and we'll continue to follow that evidence closely. And uh, that you know, when every person who's immunized in BC is followed in BC, and I think that's that is important evidence on what such a decision is based. And, of course, it's been in place in other jurisdictions, such as the United Kingdom, for many months.
1: Okay. Phone lines open, 604-280-9898, star 9898 on your cell. Let's take some calls right now. Matt on the line in Vancouver. Go ahead, Matt.
3: Yes, thank you very much. My question is, can we expect after we are immunized that how soon after can we get with family? Can we uh, wait a few days after or... Can we just all of a sudden just just break the bubble and get together with the I mean, family? I'm
1: going to be, I think, uh, phase three. But okay, let, let, like me, let, me get the minister, let me get the minister's answer to your question. Go ahead, minister.
2: Well, first of all, it's uh, before the vaccine comes to the full effectiveness. It's a matter of weeks. So you have to continue to follow it. Secondly, we know the vaccine protects Matt and you, but it doesn't protect other people uh, necessarily. We don't know about its impact on people transmitting. So the vaccine doesn't allow you to do that. There isn't a group of people who are going to go around and be able to meet with families and others that don't. The rules are still going to apply to everyone. But if we can reduce transmission, we can change those rules. And that's uh, because many of the rules that have been put in place and the guidance put in place, I know, has a really uh, challenging effect on people, whether they go to church or temple or gurdwara in one case or want to play a particular sport. We don't want those rules in place longer than they need to be. But this weekend as well, We had 1,500 cases, just under 1,500 cases over three days, of COVID-19. Transmission is still significant. We've still only immunized. We've used all of the vaccine that we have that the federal government sends us. We do that all the time, but we've only immunized a small percentage of people. In the meantime, we have to follow, continue to follow the rules. And I know that's frustrating for people, but by the summer the situation will be better. And while you may not be able to travel internationally, uh, there'll be lots of things you can do in the summer that you won't be able to do now.
1: Okay, Lynn on the line, calling from Nanaimo. Hi. Hi, thank you.
3: I just want to ask uh, what I think is a pretty obvious question. Um, One of the brackets in the rollout is um, 80-plus years, um, born in 1941, right? So we're only two months into uh, 2021, So most of the people who turn 80 this year haven't had their birthday yet. So which is it?
2: It's it's the year you're born in. It's to make that a simple question for people. So next week, starting March 8th, the phone lines will open. Uh, Where you are, there's a phone number in Island Health, which you can get on the website. And it's not open yet, so I won't repeat it right here, but it's in Island Health. And if you were born in 1931 or earlier, then you can call at that date. 41, right? yeah, and no, no, So we're going week, week to week, so I'm going to take you through it, uh, Lynn. Uh, the first week, March 8th, 1931 or before, because we're staggering the by-five-year things so that we can allow people to phone in and everyone to be heard. So the first week born in 1931 or earlier, that's 90-plus, or Indigenous born in 1956 or earlier, 65-plus, you can call the week of March 8th. The week of March 15th, if you're born in 1936 or earlier, Uh, then then you call in. And then in in the next week, the week of March 22nd, if you're born in 1941 or earlier. So the the issue of the birthday is taken out of the equation then. It's if you're born in 1941, whether you were born on January 1st, 1941 or December 31st, 1941, whatever date you were born in that year, uh, that's when you call in.
1: All right. Welcome back to your calls to BC Health Minister Adrian Dix on the vaccine plan. Let's go right to your calls right now. Howard on the line in Vancouver. Hi, Howard. Hi. Good morning, Mike. Good morning, uh, Minister Dix. Uh, just have a question for you, Minister. Uh, my mom is 93. She lives in her own apartment with 24-hour caregivers, but she doesn't have her own phone line. The caregivers have cells they use, et cetera How do she, how does she get contacted for the mobile unit to come by and, and get her
4: her vaccination next week?
2: Minister? Well, so uh, what she'll do when the phone line's open is she doesn't have to make the call. You, uh, can, Howard, can make the call for her. What you need is her uh, full name, of course, her date of birth, and her medical number. And that's it. And if anyone asks you for anything else, it's not us, if they're asking you for a credit card and so on. So you can make that booking, or her support workers can make that booking on her behalf. And uh, and so and in many cases of people uh, in their 90s, it will be uh, loved ones who do that on behalf of the person. But that's how you can do it, and you can get that done starting next Monday. What,
1: what about her support workers? Would they get the shot at the same time, or do they wait? Well, in many cases,
2: support workers have. Uh, We'd have to look at the circumstance, but we've basically done everyone long-term care assisted living in about 50,000 healthcare workers already, including many who provide home support. I'm not sure what the arrangement is there, but... um, That's uh, something that uh, the health authority could look into. And when you call, we can respond to that question. They can call the 1-888-COVID-19 line in BC, and we can start to get the answers to the specifics of the question. But home support workers, in a general sense, have been immunized and are being immunized now.
1: Let's go to Trish on the line in Delta. Hi, Trish. Hi. Hi.
3: Um, I have a 6-year-old brother who lives with my 89-year-old mother. Uh. So if she gets immunized, does he get immunized at the same time, or does he have to wait until the 60-year-old
1: age group comes in? Minister. Uh,
2: that, that's right. Um, you have to wait until your age group comes in. But the yeah. important thing in that situation is that the 89-year-old uh, mother is protected. And that's why we're immunizing by age. So let me give you an example, uh, Mike, say, and this is a frequent example, it's not infrequent, Um, 82-year-old, 182-year-old spouse, 178-year-old spouse, either the 82-year-old spouse can be done with their age quadrant. If they want to go together, then they just wait until the next period and they go together.
1: Okay, let's go to Brennan on the line in Coquitlam. Hi. Hi, good morning. How are you guys? Good, good. Go ahead. Good, doing great. I'm Just
3: wondering. Uh, I'm 81. My wife is 80. When when we phone, can we register together, or do we have to? Uh,
1: do, does she have to phone? separately. I think, I think you just more or less answered that question just a moment ago, Minister. Go There's ahead. The short,
2: the short answer is absolutely, and we'd uh, prefer if you did it together. And all you need is uh, both of your personal health information, your number, and uh, your uh, uh, your uh, full name and date of birth, and, uh, and uh, then uh, you can go ahead and book the appointment. So we would prefer if people in those circumstances book together. Where it's a little different is if your wife was a couple of years younger as yeah, In the previous right. example, then she'd have to wait until the next uh, the next age group.
1: Let's go to Mike on the line in Burnaby. Hey, Mike. Uh, hi there, uh, Minister Dix. Um, as you and your team know, research shows that people with Down syndrome are ten times more likely to die from COVID. Um, I heard you say this morning that people with underlying health conditions would be contacted by their doctors if they're eligible for early vaccination, priority vaccination. Uh, If this is true, um, can you post an official policy to to ensure that families like mine are aware of this change? And please add language that specifies uh, Down syndrome and developmental disabilities, Minister.
2: So, so that was specifically dealt with the the issue uh, for people with different conditions uh, who are eligible in our presentation on January 19th. And more information will be coming out on that. uh, But that includes. uh, uh, categories of people with developmental disabilities. Uh, it's not everyone with a chronic health condition. I'll just give you one example, which is different than Down syndrome, uh, diabetes, which I'm familiar. As you know, I have type 1 yeah. diabetes. Right. We, we decided that the best way to do this in a general sense is to go age by age, because people are more vulnerable based on age, much more vulnerable at 80 than at 60. So that's how we're doing it. And it's an efficient way to deliver a system to millions of people, as you can imagine. So those decisions are being made and led by our medical teams and our public health teams and uh, working with doctors in all of those categories. I know there is a lot of questions that have come from people both in different employment categories and, deal- and who are living with different conditions, living with different disabilities and different conditions. And what we're trying to do in every case is follow the science. And uh, it's a challenge sometimes. But in my case, for example, even though I'm much more likely to suffer negative um, fallout from having COVID-19, I will be going with my age cohort, which is 56.
1: But what about people with Down syndrome, though? Is there a specific category for them or, or you're telling them to... Wait and see. Well,
2: it, 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 people who have um, serious, uh, very, a variety of uh, of conditions, including autoimmune conditions and others, uh, will be contacted through uh, their medical supports. And those decisions will be made uh, and are being made by public health officials. So uh, ask people to be patient. Remember that we don't uh, we haven't had the vaccine, so we focused on the things we focused on to begin with, which is principally uh, on the health care system side and in long-term care and assisted living. And now we're moving on to the general population. And uh, I think that in a general sense, um, all of those kind of decisions will be made by the medical experts as they should be.
1: Okay, we only got one minute left. Steve in Maple Ridge, go ahead.
2: Hi there. I, he just uh, Adrian Dix just touched on the autoimmune thing I was going to ask about, but uh, but both my wife and I are autoimmune, and uh, my wife works in in the hospital. She's in x rays so she sees every COVID patient that comes into the hospital. They all get X-rays. Um, she my my specialist has said that we have to stop taking our medication one to two weeks before we get a vaccine, but the only people that drop into the hospital to give vaccinations are there like the day of. At least out in Mission. Hey,
1: okay, we got thirty seconds. What's your question? Uh, How can she get an appointment
2: two weeks ahead if she, if you know, she can't? There's
1: minister, no th- minister, we just have thirty seconds. Go ahead.
2: Well, I, I think you know. I try only to answer the questions. I'm not myself a doctor, so I don't answer those kind of specific medical questions. I think um, it's important to get medical advice. That's not a circumstance that I've heard of before, but okay. I'd be happy to get the information for your listener.
1: Minister, thank you for coming on today. Hey, any time to carry? All right, welcome back to the show. This is Mike Smith. Let's talk about your ICBC and your auto insurance now. Are you getting a good deal on your insurance in BC compared to other provinces? What about your customer service experience in BC compared to other provinces like Alberta? Think about that now. Get set to call me on the open line after the next break. If you've had an experience with auto insurance in another province, I want to hear from you. But first, it's time to welcome my next guest, Stephanie McLean. She is a Canadian. Canadian lawyer and a former NDP cabinet minister in Alberta. She served in the cabinet of the government of Rachel Notley, uh, the former NDP government in Alberta. She's now based in BC, and I'm very pleased to welcome her. Thanks a lot for coming on.
3: Thanks for having me, Mike.
1: Okay, it's really great to have you here because I'm interested in your experience with auto insurance in in B.C. compared to Alberta, and I know you had kind of a frustrating experience in, in making the move, right? Can you tell me a little bit about your experience in kind of moving over from Alberta to B.C. into our insurance system?
3: Yeah, well, you know, I think uh, it's it's always fascinating and frustrating when you move from one province to another to find out just how different things are within the same country. So, I mean, granted, there's going to be that learning curve, but uh, recently my husband and I um, sold a car. We found that we no longer needed two vehicles. And uh, in order to do it, I had to fill out eight government forms. I had to um, create a bespoke contract of sale totally from scratch. Um, I had to go in person, uh, bring in my plates. I had to pay $32 to cancel my insurance. Um, And as a person with a full-time job and a small child, this was extremely onerous, I've got to tell you. It actually took me months to get this done. Um, And over this time, I continued to pay for insurance on a car that I had already sold. And ICBC continued to collect insurance from both me and the new owner, which frankly is double dipping. I didn't get a refund once I turned in my place. Um, and by comparison, in Alberta, I've sold a car there. Yeah. First of all, the government through Service Alberta, which I was the minister of, has a template contract that you can use to sell your car. Right. And frankly, all you need to do is sign the back of your pink slip to sell the car. You call your insurance company and a registry and um, if you want to go in, they're often in the same place. So I could walk into the um, AMA, the Alberta Motor Association, uh, where I could do both my insurance registration and cancel both. But I could do it over the phone and it takes literally five minutes. The whole process takes five minutes outside of the, you know, finding somebody to buy it. So when I, I went in to cancel my insurance, I I also happened to need to renew my driver's license. And so, you know, coming from another province, I thought, well, I should be able to do this all in one spot, but no, I had to physically go into two different locations because they needed me to bring in the plates. So physical attendance required. I had to, you know, do the in-person attendance for my driver's license. And in Alberta, I would have absolutely been able to do both in the same building or take care of one on the phone. So, the customer service aspect seems to really be lacking here. I know people balk and say, oh, big deal. You had to go into two locations. But we live in a modern world where I can get things done by the click of a button. And the fact of the matter is I can do that in Alberta. Why can't I here?
1: Okay, very interesting perspective on on a former cabinet minister next door in Alberta. So did did that's that surprise you? Like when you came over to British Columbia, they've got private insurance in Alberta, right? And we've got public auto insurance here. So I guess very different systems. But was it it was a lot more onerous than you imagined or you expected? Correct.
3: (laughs) Yeah, well, to be clear, so Alberta has both private insurance and yeah. private registry services, and in BC, we don't really talk about it that way uh, because it's all under ICBC, but your registry would be things like your, your license, your, um, your license plate. Um, whereas the insurance is actually just the, the cost you pay to insure the, the vehicle, your collision, et cetera. Um, and in Alberta, they're both private. And what really surprised me, frankly, was when I was overseeing registry services, we would run into a lot of issues um, trying to provide better consumer services because not everything was centralized, because our information wasn't centralized, because it was all dispersed in private registries that had their own business operations. And so we couldn't really make everything the same and improve customer service across the board. So I expected, given that it is centralized in BC, that would make it all the much easier for customer service to be improved. Lo and behold, it's not the case.
1: It was not the case. Okay, speaking to Stephanie McLean, she is the former Minister of Service Alberta in the previous NDP government in Alberta. Uh, She's now based in BC. So what do you think? Do you think BC should privatize? it's insurance i mean that that's what you think right yeah you
3: know uh it's it's Interesting where you're sitting in that spot as a government decision maker, you have your ideology, the NDP certainly does, every party does, the liberals do. But ICBC is broken, and it's more than just the hundreds of millions of losses year over year, and it's more than just the high insurance rates. It's also the lack of consumer focus. And you know, generally speaking, I'm not an advocate of privatization, but I'm also no longer ideologically motivated, and I can see it for what it is. And as a former minister who was responsible for overseeing the regulation of private registry services which is not to say it's a free-for-all it's still regulated i can say that sometimes privatization is the answer and i mean here the question is is icbc fixable i mean probably yeah but does that mean that government should expend a ton of resources and time to fix it okay
1: Not necessarily, you you know? I'll I'll tell you, it's shocking to hear a former NDP cabinet minister make the argument for privatizing auto insurance in VC because, (laughs) you know, this was a system, ICBC, that was set up in the 1970s by the Dave Barrett NDP government of the day, and it's been in place ever since. And I don't think you would ever see an NDP government in in British Columbia dismantle this and and privatize this system. What are your thoughts like you mentioned that you think it's an ideological thing like people should throw off their ideological chains on this one and just start thinking about about customer service and what's best for the public is that what you is that what you basically argue.
3: Yeah, you know, to be clear, I'm no longer a member of the party. I don't speak for the NDP. Um yeah. And, and throwing off those ideological chains does allow me, I think, to look at things a little more critically. But not only that, I mean, when I was in government, I had to make decisions about whether or not to turn something fully private um, in my role as a minister. And I, I did make that decision from time to time. And the fact of the matter is you set something up, Barrett set something up with um, great intentions. And, and it could have been like it is in Saskatchewan, like we all hear about how great it is in Saskatchewan. But but that's not the fact here. Somewhere along the lines, um, multiple times, I imagine, things got totally borked. And at some point, it's like, okay, you hit the point of no return. You've got to decide, is it worth doubling down on this or cutting it loose and putting mm. our attention and resources into things that are really bread and butter, like our health care, our education, our justice services, our housing. Yeah. It, it, it's a huge lift to get ICBC back to where Dave Barrett imagined it at this point. Like A lot of time has passed, and it's no longer the thing he <laughs> envisioned. So... What?
1: What do you think? What do you think about the auto insurance rates in British Columbia compared to what you were paying in Alberta? We, we are in the process now in BC of moving to a no-fault auto insurance system. Uh, the government's saying people are going to get a significant decrease in their auto insurance rates. And, and I gotta I'll be honest with you. I, I renewed my, my own ICBC recently and, uh, I think it was like 200 bucks less than what I paid the previous year. People are having different experiences here uh, with this renewal process, but what do you think about the rate, the auto insurance rates people are paying here compared to your experience in Alberta?
3: Well, you know, this is definitely a moving target. So all I can speak to is what it was when I left Alberta 2019 uh, versus what I walked into in BC. And what I walked into in BC was I was paying the same for one car that I used to pay for two cars wow. and, and the same package. Like, it's not like I was like, Oh, I'm going to add on collision now. And I'm going to add on windshield and blah, blah, blah. Like I've always been like a public liability. I'm not paying for more insurance than I need to type of <laughs> type of person. And so it's like, what's the bare minimum that I can pay on my car insurance. That's what I'm going to go for. And I did it in Alberta switched to bc and i was paying double so wow. i know that insurance rates have gone up in alberta astronomically the kenny government there has made some decisions to take off caps that you know those are regulatory decisions that uh, you know i don't i don't personally agree with because you can regulate an industry appropriately so it's consumer focused and i think that's really important um and you know certainly Uh, they've made some changes here. It it remains to be seen as to whether or not both the savings can be passed on to consumers and ICBC can stop having the excessive losses. Because if we end up in a situation where consumers aren't paying as much, but ICBC still experiences excessive losses, then we're really just, you know, covering it up. (laughs) Like, it's not actually improved. It's, it's, It's just, you know, smoke and mirrors to stop the complaining.
1: Okay. Very interesting take. Thank you for coming on with your perspective on it. And I really appreciate your time today. Thanks for coming on.
4: Thanks. Shipping can make or break a sale. So optimize how you ship your orders with ShipStation. They make it easy to automate and manage orders no matter how big your business grows. And they might even be able to help reduce shipping and warehouse costs. So optimize and keep up your momentum for growth with ShipStation. Sign up for your free 60-day trial now at ShipStation.com and use the code P-O-D. That's ShipStation.com with the code P-O-D.
0: How do you feel great on vacation? Like, really good? Easy. You go to Aruba. You'll spend your time relaxing on cool white sand beaches and floating in healing blue water. You'll immerse yourself in natural wonder and find your center on an island where things move at your speed. You won't just feel great. You'll feel relaxed, renewed, and ready for life. That's the Aruba Effect. Plan your trip at aruba.com. That's Mike Picker.
1: All right, welcome back to the show. He's an iconic author and illustrator, but Dr. Seuss is being scrutinized this morning for some controversial content. Our show contributor, John Jang, has the details for us now this morning. John? Would you eat them in a box? Would you eat them with a fox? (gasps) No, not in a
3: box, not with a fox. I would not eat green eggs and ham. I do not like them, Sam, I
4: am. Today is Dr. Seuss Day. Yet instead of encouraging children all over the world to read books, today adults are debating over whether or not Dr. Seuss is a victim of cancel culture. It was announced that six Dr. Seuss books will no longer be published due to racist and insensitive imagery, and that this move will affect such titles like If I Ran the Zoo, Scrambled Eggs Super, and The Cat's Quizzer. In a statement from Dr. Seuss Enterprise that was released earlier this morning, the company writes that their mission is to support all children and families with messages of hope, inspiration, inclusion, and friendship. They also add that they worked with a panel of experts, including educators, and made the decision to discontinue sales of these six Seuss titles. This was part of their much larger review process, where they went over his entire catalog last year over a series of months. Nearly 60 books, with many that are still top sellers today. It must be made clear, these books have not been banned. The company will no longer publish new editions, but whether or not they're still welcome in your child's school library is an independent decision. One thing that is obvious, however, is the fact that Dr. Seuss remains highly relevant in today's age. In fact, Dr. Seuss was the second highest paid dead celebrity in 2020, with Forbes estimating $33 million US in earnings before taxes. Only Michael Jackson's empire actually earned more last year. The full list of affected books include McElligott's Pool, On Beyond Zebra, and To Think That I Saw It on Mulberry Street. Interestingly enough, some critics believe two other books should have been added to the list for potentially racist depictions. Those books being If I Ran the Circus and the world-famous The Cat in the Hat. So, kiddo, what do you want to do for fun? I want to make cupcakes! Cupcakes? Oh, yeah! (laughs) To the kitchen! (laughs) Why? Unfortunately, the movie adaptation, with a profound 9% score on Rotten Tomatoes, has pretty much been cancelled by critics already. And a reminder... Cancel culture isn't real. Here's an excerpt from Van Color Moment by fellow CKNW contributor Moamir. Have you heard of cancel culture? The idea that people are routinely shut out of social or professional circles, i.e. cancelled because they did or said something objectionable. It sounds like a mythical concept like the boogeyman or bitcoin. The blowhards who cry cancel culture confuse freedom of speech technically freedom of expression in Canada with the imaginary freedom from consequence. Freedom of expression actually means that the government cannot criminally punish you for expressing yourself within reasonable limits which excludes hate speech obscenity and defamation and yeah there are consequences if you are reprehensible factually incorrect or dangerous that's not cancel culture that's the real world It would surprise some people to learn that Dr. Seuss also had a major role to play during World War II when he began using his talents to advance American military propaganda. Here is YouTube personality Sam Morrison with a quick explanation on that background.
0: After Pearl Harbor and America's official entry into World War II, he felt PM's first mission, to get America into the war to support Britain, had been accomplished. He began designing posters for the Treasury Department and soon joined the U.S. Air Force as Captain of the Animation Department for the First Motion Picture Unit. Working with artists like Frank Capra, Mel Blanc, and Chuck Jones, he created animated shorts aimed at helping American troops understand their role in the war effort. His 1945 Army films, Your Job in Germany and Our Job in Japan, provided inspiration for a commercially released film called Design for Death, which earned him an Academy Award for Best Documentary Feature in 1947.
4: I bring this up because Dr. Seuss's anti-Japanese drawings were entirely offensive, consistently playing on stereotypes and describing them in ways I can't actually explain on the radio. But there's no denying that as an author for children's books, he carved out a true legacy. And finally, since today is Dr. Seuss Day, I thought it'd be fitting to finish in style. I would not want my kids to look through such hurtful, offensive books. Dr. Seuss did have his flaws, these racist images make me pause. Did he mean all the things he drew? That doesn't matter, in my view. Times have changed over the years, let's stand together with our peers. We should all feel welcome in this place, judged by our actions, not the color of our face. So these six books should go away, but all the classics, Green Eggs and Ham? Are welcome to stay back to you, Mike
1: All right, welcome back to the show Let's continue talking about BC's vaccine plan Phase 2 of the vaccine plan Rolled out by officials yesterday And seniors age 90 and over Will be first in line To phone and get the appointment for the vaccine That is starting next week Have a listen to this This is Dr. Penny Ballam One of the chief officials here in the province uh, The immunization executive lead Talking about the Phase 2 timelines here The first one starting the ability to call in and make an appointment for a vaccine will be those over 90. And it will be by year of birth. So they are born in or before 1931. The next group um, will call in starting March 15th. And their vaccinations will start March 22nd. So you see it will be a week and a week for the call and then the vaccination. So for those over 85, their year of birth is in or before 1936. And finally, the the group over 80, which is our largest group, they can start calling March 22nd to their local health authority call center. Their vaccinations will start March 29th. And their year of birth will be in or before 1941. Okay, Dr. Penny Ballum there yesterday talking about the timelines for seniors to get the COVID-19 vaccine. Let's discuss now with my guest, Isabel McKenzie, BC's independent advocate for seniors. And I'm very pleased to welcome her back to the show. Thanks a lot for coming on.
0: My pleasure, Mike. Good morning.
1: Good morning to you. Um, What do you think about the plans and the details that you heard yesterday? Does this give you some hope, and are you hearing optimism from seniors in British Columbia? Uh,
0: Yes, I think that hope and optimism is definitely in the air, and I think that the plan for the 80-plus population I think has brought a lot of relief to people who are not going to be driven to a website and have to deal with that kind of uh, technology and the inevitable hiccups there will be when we implement that technology. So I think the the uh, idea where we are reaching out to some seniors and we've already started to do that. So seniors who are getting home support, uh, seniors who are in independent living, they've been getting called and advised when their appointment is. And if mm. they're unable to travel to a vaccine clinic, arrangements are being made for the vaccine to be brought to them. So I think that's very good.
1: Okay, and that's, that's then, great to hear. Who is calling them?
0: Uh, the health authority is calling them. Right. These are right. people that are, there's about, oh, I think about thirty or 40,000 of right. home support clients, And so these are our frail, vulnerable seniors who are living in their own homes who are receiving health services from the health authority. And so they are more likely to need to have the vaccine brought to them, although many of them will be able to get to a vaccination site. So that we know where they are and who they are and their phone number because we're regularly in contact with them. So that piece has started and we then are going to go out to the wider population, as uh, Dr. Ballam spoke about yesterday, with a phone number that they can call in according to their age cohort group and set up their vaccination date for the next week.
1: Okay, that's really great to hear. And are you relieved to hear that you mentioned earlier about s- some concerns around, would some seniors be able to go online if they don't have the skills to go online or they don't have the Internet access or whatever their situation might be, uh, to have a system where you call, you can phone to get the appointment rather than registering online?
0: Yes, I think that this will be the least uh, problematic yeah. for this population group. And I think, Mike, you know, for, the, for people over 80, everybody is attuned to this. Uh, or they have a family member who is attuned to this. Right. So the most important thing is going to be, uh, here is the phone number for your health authority. You call during this week if you were born in 1931 or earlier, or if your mom was born 1931 or earlier, and you'll you'll speak to a live person who is going to book your appointment. And if you are able to have that confirmed by text or email, Great. If you don't do text or email, that's not a problem. You don't need to be able to do that. You're going to be given your vaccination uh, time and location, and you can show up at that time and location.
1: Speaking to Isabel McKenzie, BC's independent advocate for seniors, one of the big announcements in this plan yesterday was officials saying they will extend the interval between the first dose of the vaccine and the second booster shot, to 16 weeks or four months between, between shots. Now, that's kind of counter to the manufacturer's guidelines for the vaccines, and there is some criticism of the B.C. government for doing this. Do you have any concerns about extending that interval between doses?
0: Well, I think I would defer that to the vaccine experts uh, yeah. who've looked at some evidence and made those decisions. I think for this phase of the vaccine with our seniors population it's not dramatically altering uh, what we are planning or achieving in any event and I think that uh we are we 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 do know this Mike that the first dose can be uh very very effective and we've seen right. that in long term care our outbreaks are down by 77% over what they were at the peak, but our community transmission is only down 25%. So clearly these, and the majority of people, have only had one dose. So clearly it is uh, proving to be very effective.
1: Right, and when you take a look at the situation in long-term care homes, and it sounds like it's been really successful with the vaccine rollout among our most vulnerable seniors in long-term care. Are Are you pleased with the way that has gone?
0: Yes, we have had... Uh, obviously we, we covered every site, both long-term care and assisted living, and we did it actually very quickly. And we had, uh, very, very high rates of uptake. There was concern a few months ago about vaccine hesitancy. That has not materialized in any, uh, meaningful way. Now that's, there may or may not be a particular care home out there that didn't get a high up, but when we look system-wide, uh, it's over, I think, 90% of, um, residents and close to 90% of staff have have received the vaccine the first dose at least. So we're not seeing uh, you know a, a great uh, amount of hesitancy out there.
1: Right. How about the uh, caregivers for seniors? I've received a lot of questions along this line and I'm certain you have too that okay we're relieved to know that a loved one who is a, a frail elderly senior will be getting the vaccine soon, but what about their caregivers? Do you think they should be moving up in line, or are they already set to receive the vaccine? What's your understanding there?
0: Well, my understanding is if their uh, caregiver is a professional caregiver, so if we talk about our home support clients and uh, the staff providing uh, their home support will be vaccinated, when we get to the what we call informal caregivers or unpaid or family caregivers, yeah. uh, it's my understanding they will be vaccinated with their age cohort that is the current plan. Whether that changes with vaccine schedules, with new vaccines coming on stream, I don't know.
1: Yeah, and how about the, uh, we got three vaccines approved in Canada right now, the Moderna vaccine, Pfizer and AstraZeneca. Uh, we'll see, which one will seniors be getting, do we know?
0: Uh, well, certainly for this wave of 80 plus, it's the um, Pfizer and Moderna vaccines.
1: Right. Right, and that's the most. You know, we're told it's the most effective vaccine. Are, are you pleased that that uh, our our most vulnerable seniors are getting that those two vaccines?
0: Yes, I am, and I think yeah. that you know we can take to heart that the focus now. the The, the decision was made based on the evidence that the the virus uh, is going to cause serious illness and mortality to a much greater extent in the older population, and that's been the focus of our vaccination program. And I think that that's important, that it is yet another indication, as we've had many throughout this pandemic, of how much we value the seniors in our lives and our community and how much we want to keep them safe.
1: Welcome back to the show. My guest is independent seniors advocate in British Columbia, Isabel McKenzie. We're talking about the rollout of the phase two of the vaccine plan yesterday, especially as it pertains to seniors. They will be first in line to start calling next week to get the vaccine for people over 80, and then we'll be going in age increments after that. Very encouraging news for our our senior citizens in British Columbia. Phone me right now, 604- 280 9898 is the number 604 280 9898 star 9898. Toll free in your cell. Let's go to Judy on the line in Langley. Hi, Judy. Oh, hi there,
3: Mike. How are you hi. today?
1: I'm good, thanks. What would you like uh, to say?
3: Okay, my question and hello to Isabel, too. um My question is regarding um, a vaccination for my mother. She's, <clears throat> excuse me, 92 and lives at home. Um, but she doesn't receive any provincial um, home care support. Um, I'm her support, so I'm wondering um, will she get any notification for someone to come to her because um, she can't get out at all, or do I need to still phone the number and try to set up something that way? Um, nobody seems to know. So.
1: Isab- Isabel McKenzie.
0: Thank you. Uh, you. Thank you and hello. Um, you will need to phone the number that is promoted for, I think it's Vancouver Coastal you're in, um, and uh, your mom will be in the first group uh, because she was born in 1931 or earlier. And when you phone, uh, you will indicate that your mom is not able to get to the vaccination site and they will make arrangements for the, the team to come that will vaccinate her in the home.
1: Okay, that is great to hear. And for people who are age ninety years or older, so that would include uh her mom, that is beginning next week. So that would you can call starting March eighth, so next week. So I, I highly encourage you to do that. Six oh four two eight zero ninety eight ninety eight, star ninety eight ninety eight in your cell. Gordon and Surrey. Hey Gordon. Good morning. Hi. I'm seventy one.
2: I just had quadruple heart bypass surgery about 12 weeks ago. I was just wondering, what are the side effects of this vaccine? Should I have the vaccine earlier, or should I just wait till it's
1: my time to get the vaccine? Thanks. Isabel, do you have any thoughts on that?
0: Well, I think in terms of the side effects, uh, it's been well monitored not just throughout the world, but here in British Columbia of adverse uh, events from the vaccine. And no vaccine is perfect without any adverse events, but this uh, vaccine is not proving to have uh, a significant uh, concern around safety or adverse events at all. So it is considered a, a very, very safe vaccine. So the caller should have a discussion with his primary physician or primary caregiver uh, about, uh, about the concerns he may or may not have about the vaccine and have that discussion. And then in terms of when he will be receiving the vaccine, again, that is going to that determination
1: will be made by public health. Let's go to Helen on the line in Campbell River. Hi, Helen.
3: Oh, hi, Mike. Thanks for taking my call. Regarding the vaccine, um, I'll be 85 in July, and I have COPD. Does that have a bearing on when I would, um, you know, apply for the vaccine?
1: Isabel McKenzie.
0: I don't think the COPD in and of itself is going to push you further up the vaccination line, but year of birth is what determines your age cohort, so even though you're not turning 85 until July, uh, you were born uh, before 1936, You're in 1936 or before. And so you will be entitled to receive uh, the vaccination by calling March 15th for your vaccination yep. starting the week of the 22nd. You won't have to wait for that third uh, week.
1: Yeah, March 15th will be the time for you to call, uh, and uh, you you absolutely should certainly do that. Jenny in the West End. Hi, Jenny.
0: Oh, hi, Mike and Isabel. Thank you for doing this great service. Uh, My question is, I have, my husband is 86, he's in that, I know the date. Um, Where where are the vaccines going to be given? Do you know the uh,
3: locations yet, Isabel?
1: Do we know yet?
0: When? No, when you phone the uh, number, they will give you the vaccine site. So there's during the eighty plus vaccinations, we're going to be looking at a number of vaccination sites that are clinics that are used uh, by public health. Uh, that is different from when we go out to the to the under eighty population and our one hundred and seventy some odd vaccination sites throughout the province. The mass vaccination sites, that's different. So they will advise you of where the vaccination site is, depending on your postal code, when you phone to register for the vaccine.
1: Thanks a lot for all your calls on that one. And Isabel McKenzie, it's always great to have you here on the show. Thank you for the great work you're doing on behalf of BC Seniors.
0: Okay, thank you very much, Mike.